Well, we just got done with um, an amazing interview with Dr. Brandon Orr. I'm I'm mentally fatigued. What do you think there, Coach Lane? Yeah, that was a lot of uh, content to absorb, and it was fantastic. If you listen to this podcast, you might want to listen to it in chunks. There is an enormous amount of content there that is fantastic, and he's just touching the surface of, of his expertise. And um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear Dr. Orr's voice uh, because we got to work with him for a couple of years and, and uh, he was our mentor and helped us out tremendously. And then you guys get to hear directly from, from him and experience some of the things that we dealt with on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gem. So in, enjoy this interview with Dr. Brandon Orr. and welcome back to the Skronko Wrestling Podcast. We've been away for a little bit, but now we're back because we've all been, you know, in isolation and living on Zoom. So now we're back on Zoom again and recording another episode. I This is Coach Smith, and I'm here with Coach Lane. Woo-woo! <laughs> His classic <laughs> hello. And I, we are uh, really, really lucky today. I know you've all heard us talk about um, Dr. Orr and the influence that he had on us in our program, the program, as us graduates of the program call it, um, at the University of Missouri. And we've kind of reconnected and had some time to talk to him a little bit. And he has blessed us with coming on to um, the podcast. So Dr. Orr, welcome. And why don't you you, give the audience a little bit of uh, your background? Yeah, so for the last uh, two years, I've been with Air Force Special Warfare, uh, standing up there, performance psych program and they somehow got connected to one of the strength coaches Brian Mann uh, who was at Mizzou at the time and was just putting out some awesome research on uh, force plates and velocity based training so Air Force Special Warfare got kind of intrigued with him and was pinging him on, on some of his research and talking to him about coming on board uh, with some research potential through the, the human performance track of, of special warfare. And that conversation led to, you know, the missing piece for us is, is sports psych. You know, we need a guy that can get into the minds of these guys and help them basically just endure and withstand the, the, the stress thresholds of what is commonly regarded as the hardest training pipeline in the world. And so they just, sent me a text, <laughs> like, send your CV here. And I'm like, well, this is uh, appropriately cryptic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, you guys know the story. You were part of the part yeah. of the transition and sent the CV in and they, they flew me down and interviewed me. And I've been here ever since in this uh, environment trying to, I, I would say, maximize really uh, the intersection between the, the performance in the psychology and uh, it is everything it was advertised to be. It is a grinder of, of an environment. It is levels of stress in its own context. You know, you've got the context of being 
uh, evaluated and the stress that that brings about. You've got the stress of having your feet bound and your hands bound and having to bob in a 12 foot pool and travel and travel back and then do flips and retrieve a mask. I mean, it is a absolute pressure chamber. Um, and for people like us that we kind of love the psychological phenomenon that people go through and getting to watch it and, and see the ability to either express resilience or not express resilience and, and deep dive into that at an individual level has been one of the most challenging for sure, oh, uh, but, but just sheer uh, reward uh, positions wow. and posts uh, to be in. And it is really this kind of culmination of when you take wrestling and you take the context of what it is to be in a one-on-one -on -one fight, Mm -hmm. there's public identifiability of both competitors everybody knows it's Garrett Lane and Dana Smith and they are against each other and one guy's hand will be raised and another won't you know that that's a completely different stress context a performance context than say football you know where you've got 11 people that have responsibilities it's perfectly the same here where one bad event, you know, one bad day is enough for those guys to not get selected. Uh, so it's, it's been a beautiful environment to, to be a part of and to just observe, if you will, and, and partake of that, like I said, psychological phenomenon. So. The amount of information and beta you're probably getting through all of this, working with these, <laughs> with these guys, it's just got to be in at an all-time high like yeah. the stimuli coming in, it's just your brain is probably just wiring in and out what's working well, what's not working well, how to reflect, yeah. repair, et cetera. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. Keep going. I was to that point was just going to say that's what has been so, you know, I, we came into it with a blank slate. I mean, they when they recruited me, they said full autonomy, full authority over the curriculum. And I came in and took a look at what they were teaching and was like, okay, well, I'm glad I have full autonomy in it. <laughs> uh, what you're teaching is not going to work. Um, wow. so to have all these ideas that we've had, whether it's from our conversations and the things that we've talked about, but also the things that I've seen from my full progression of my career as a college football coach and then working in the zoo in Mizzou athletics for 11 years with a number of different sports, but primarily just being attached to Mizzou wrestling and seeing these elements of similarity between a performance environment, like a special warfare selection course and that context of, of wrestling and to have some pretty strong convictions about the direction we should go and the way that we should construct this program and to have the blessing or the fortune or the opportunity to just build it and frag it and have it run and do exactly what you've talked about, what works, what doesn't work, what is working, what isn't working. It's totally different with each unit and it's totally different with, we call them studs, uh, with each stud. You're just dealing with a puzzle and a mystery and an adventure journey 
every single day, every single unit. Uh, it's just, I, it's a beautiful kind of <laughs> potpourri of team building and team cohesion and stress tolerance and acceptance, commitment and mindfulness, acceptance and task directive focus and boom, 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 boom. And you can't do it without objective data. That's been probably the most important piece is how do you know when you know everything you're training on is what they're going to be assessed on then how do you know where to place emphasis within a given week within a given class within a given stud and you go right to the data and you see you know across 150 guys you're ranked 70th in weighted carries and you're ranked fifth in watercon so we know there's a really large residual there between how you perform on the land and how you perform on the water. And this career field, that you have to be able to do both. And that objective data is such a powerful piece to be able to go to that stud and be like, look, this is why the things that we're teaching relative to resilience, relative to the land and to carries is critical. And immediately you see buy-in and you see uh, this kind of urgency to get that fixed. I love that. That's fascinating. And um, that all the, all the specific skills you were talking about, that's, that's one of the first things I was going to ask about is um, you've worked with, I mean, every level of athlete and trying to get maximized human performance, right. And, and coaches and, and professional athletes and, and, UFC fighters and stuff. And, um, and now you're working with the, the elite, you know, special warfare group of humans, these studs where their, their ability to have to maximize their performance is life or death. Right. I mean, potentially I mean, it's, it's the highest, the highest stakes possible. Right. And, um, I was, I'm, I was really curious, uh, coming into this about, uh, type of specific mental skills that like the similarities and differences, yeah. um, between these these studs these guys right and the other groups that you've worked with and and kind of like you said I know it's all individual individually specific and um, I do a lot of mental skills with the team and then also individually with each little athlete that I work with but um, I'm I'm really curious about the, the similarities and differences or yeah. anything in general like the acceptance commitment stuff I love that stuff and anything yeah. else yeah well why don't we just run through very quickly what the yeah. The curriculum and the way that it's set up and Love it. what we start with. Um, I was very bullish that it had to be resilience. Mm -hmm. We weren't going to start with the traditional psych skills. We're not going to start with goal setting and self-talk and visualization and confidence building. And we're, that's going to be on the back end of this program. Because the bottom line is, if I set a goal, right? Okay, well, when that stress gets introduced in that event, let's say it's a 300-pound bench press, right? Or it's a 4-5 in the 40, or it's qualifying for state, winning state, whatever yeah. goal you want to set forthly. I think we all have come to an understanding that that is a pretty anemic path. Right. We've talked for years about how by doing what. Yep. How by doing what. 
people don't one. really understand. You know, we, we set this goal and we say, okay, cool, great. I've got a goal, but it's not fortified in any way with some process, some system that's going to bring about that outcome. So what I believed, I want to say I knew, but you don't really know until you're into it. But what I believed that the most important piece was we have to have the ability to fortify that pursuit when that event or that goal starts to push back against us, right? Starts to impose its own resistance towards realization. And that can be the doubt that comes from being in a pipeline and, and taking a couple of bad days, bad performances, or knowing you're behind the power curve. It could just be the sheer like endemic stress of drown proofing, body proofing, a 25 meter underwater, a 25 meter underwater with OCP top and bottom. Like there's all kinds of ways in which this stress of this pipeline is going to run a North linear path every single day is just going to be harder than the day before. And it's so clear to them because they come in on a 25 meter underwater on one breath at a 3:30 interval. And that's the last time they'll see 3:30. Next day it'll be 3:15. Wow. Next day it'll be 3 and the next day 2:45 and we'll run all the way down to 1:45 and then when we get done with that we're going to throw on an OCP top. Then we're going to throw on an OCP bottom and it's just continually running this, this vertical path. So we have to have resilience as our cornerstone. And so the way that the curriculum is set up is we've got our core. Our core is resilience. And I can explain why resilience once we get done with the whole thing. Sure. Yeah, please. Within that is acceptance, commitment, mm-hmm. and then the kind of subsidiary of that is the values committed action. And we use values committed action on an individual level, but we also use it on a team level because they're split into three different troops, troop one, troop two, troop three. And that's how they train. They train as a troop and they run through their training day as a troop. And then obviously you have that holistically within the entire class, right? So we use the values committed action at an individual level, Or if you, Garrett, say that your five values are, you know, resiliency, determination, humility, uh, reliability, and just grit. Okay, well, we're seeing it every single day. You said that you want to be a reliable teammate, but you were the only guy popping on the five underwaters that we do. And you pop every single time. Now, how is that reliable? And they're going to come back and be like, well, it, it, it's, it's not. And so, okay, well, how do we work from where we're at to get to there? And that's the big piece of the acceptance commitment. Um, and those two are just so married uh, together, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the next piece is mindfulness, acceptance, commitment, which I just, I love that framework. I love what Gardner and Moore are doing with that. Uh, what I don't love, and I think that they are, are open to this and that it's present in their literature, is you, you come at these guys with mindfulness and they're going to they're gonna kind of raise a, a little bit of an eye to you. Yeah. Yeah. And if we think about it, whether it's a putt or it's a free throw or it's a double leg or it's working 
you know, your crab ride or two on one, or it is your bump and run technique, wh whatever element it is within whatever given performance domain we're talking about, all there are performance behaviors and stress. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's something that comes in from either outside or from within yourself that takes your focus away from ultimately those performance behaviors. That's it. And that I think is the simplest way to explain to these guys, to your athletes, that's all anxiety is. It is a cognitive interruption and it simply interrupts our ability to be mindful, which the way I preach it to these guys is your ability to have a task directed focus for task related behaviors. That's one it. of my one of my favorite things you you taught me about anxiety that that really helped me with my athletes was um, that you can have anxiety and you can maximize your performance. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one or another. Where a lot of people they have anxiety, so they feel like that's going to hinder their ability to to have an optimal performance, right? And I remember you you teaching us and telling me all about how like yeah, you can still optimize your performance despite the anxiety being present, right? And being able to accept it and, you know, cope with it and all that stuff. But um, yeah, so that goes right there with it, that what you're talking about, that's good stuff. I love that. I Absolutely. love that. It, I think it's, we, we dealt a lot in that positive coaching program. We just, there's so much generic information mm -hmm. relative to sports psych yeah. and performance psych that people just, push out there like choose confidence yeah. think right you know or you need to first have right thoughts once you have the right thoughts then you'll be able to perform and Mental i'm not comfortable with that reality I, I think first off it's offensive it's offensive to tell somebody that their thoughts are wrong and I think it's massively dangerous to tell an athlete you have to pay attention to your thoughts and your emotions if you're ever going to be able to perform to your ability. Because the reality is if we just sat in a cold tub or we sat in a hot tub or we sat in a sauna and we just took an inventory of all the different thoughts that pop up in a three-minute window, tell me that you can control your thoughts. <laughs> You can't. Oh, you can't. Right. You can't. And I, I say it to these guys all the time, like possums, barbecue sauce, celebrities, <laughs> the sheer amount of things that pop into my head. I have no idea where they <laughs> came from. I'm sitting <laughs> in a 10-minute plank as a challenge where we were trying to get 10-minute plank hold. And I'm literally thinking about, just, wait, do possums play possum? <laughs> I know that an, like an ostrich can play possum. <laughs> like, what does a possum do when it's playing possum? It's a possum, yeah. right? <laughs> and yeah. you're like, what? You go down that rabbit hole where you just oh, yeah. your yeah. thoughts start spiral, spiraling, and then yeah. you start thinking negative thoughts, right? And then you start yeah. believing them that they're real, that they're real, but they're not. Yeah. they're real, but they're not reality, right? But yeah. uh, all of a sudden, like you find yourself in an A-frame. Or you find yourself with your hips sag, or you find yourself oscillating between left and right. You're not, you're no longer holding a plank. Why? Because you're wondering why celebrities only marry each other. <laughs> <laughs> and that that to me, I think, is is the is the the 
the best way that we can go about teaching this thing, because the real answer that you all know, and that I've certainly seen play out, anxiety does not have to decrease for performance to increase. It's just plain and simple. Gospel 101. And so many people try to approach it from this lens and this tactical approach of, well, look, if we could just get the anxiety reduced, well, then naturally performance would increase. Okay. Well, how long is that going to take? Oh, my God. <laughs> In this particular career field, like how long is it going to take for you to lose the anxiety about having to go 25 meters underwater on a single breath with basically sweatpants and sweat top? How long is that going to take for that anxiety to go away? Because all the while we're waiting for that anxiety to go away, you are being outperformed. And selection is moving further and further and further away from you. So would it not just make sense for us to accept that when I get to the pool and I sit on the gunnel and I prepare for whatever is coming, that anxiety is going to accompany me every second. And just have it be simply that. It's, it's, okay. good. it's not bad. It's yeah. not right. It's not wrong. It's not positive. It's not negative. It's just what happens when I go to the pool. Hey, yeah. Doctor, I, want, I, I, I love this, you know, the idea of mindfulness and I've been practicing yeah. it and it's been a big part of my life that came in from being in the program really. Yeah. And I think you're right. When you use that word with people, like you see the, the curtain come down almost, unless they're already somebody that's into mindfulness and know that it's not thinking about nothing. It's no. about getting yourself focused on thinking about what are you doing right now? Like yeah. if I'm hitting a golf shot, I don't need to be thinking, where's, where's the snack cart lady, right? It's like yeah. focus for three seconds, hit this golf shot. And then once that golf shot's gone, it's gone mm -hmm. on to the next thing that you need to be focused on. And yep. I don't know, I guess I'm asking to expand on that idea of it's mindfulness is not thinking about nothing. It's, it's, it's building like a skill to be able to think of the moment that you're in. Mm -hmm. it, am I saying that correctly? I, I would say relative to what you just said, it, thinking about what it is that you need to be engrossed in, in the moment that you're in. And what, what I've had greater success with is saying to the athlete or saying to the studs, all that I need you to think about is the task that's been prescribed to you, whether it's a putt, a free throw, uh, bump and run, double leg, tilt, two on one. All I need you to think about are the behaviors that are associated with a successful rep in this given six minute, six second life that we're trying to live. That's what I would say. So you know, if we talk about it from a, from a special warfare standpoint, there is a specific technique that they utilize on their underwater stroke. There is a specific technique that we teach, that we demand relative to drown proofing. There are specific steps and behaviors to a mask and snorkel retrieval. And that in that moment, the monkey in your brain can do whatever it wants to do. It can bring <laughs> about whatever thoughts and emotions it wants to bring about. The bottom line is, are those strong enough to get you out of that task directed focus 
of what are the behaviors associated with a successful rep here. That's it. Right. And, and I like to relate that we, we use task cues with our yeah. kids. I'm middle school yeah. kids and it's, yeah. and they're all just based on when the whistle blows and we stop, what's next, right? If we're going to be on bottom, our task cue is how are you getting to your feet? Because we've yep. worked on things to get to our feet, right? If we're on, if we're neutral, set up takedown. You know, each kid's got their favorite, but just get their mind focused back on what are you supposed to be doing right now? Are you supposed to be thinking about pizza or the bad call of the ref or that your mom is going mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to yell at you if you lose this match? Not that any of our moms would ever do that. So, right. No, but but, uh, that is a real threat. We know that for sure. Yeah. Right. But yeah. that idea of task cues too, getting back to that focus. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think when you when you present it as a task directed focus, okay, and you couple that with task cues, which we all know ultimately all that is is instructional self talk. Yep. That's it. So that when I get into an underwater, two things are going to happen. I'm either going to get like consumed by the monkey. And what he is telling me in my head of how uncomfortable this is and the beating of my chest and, you know, for you guys, um, the, the pounding of the heart rate relative to yep. wrestling and the aversion that all walks of life have to that feeling, couple that with like, all right, well, I'm down six one because I just got hit with a five point move in, in 10 seconds. Okay. I'm now down six one. Right. Okay. Well, admits the physiology and admits the psychology. We're in neutral position. What do I need to do? I need to hand fight. I need to get myself into my position to be able to set up my shot. And when he gives me that leg and he responds to that movement, I'm now in a position to take my sweep, execute my sweep. I love it. I love it. I was going to say, I don't know if I do the accept, acceptance commitment stuff right with my athletes, but one similar example is um, if you get taken down, you see so many times when a wrestler gets taken down, what does he or she do? They put their head down, they're upset, they're frustrated, they're mad, but you know, you literally cannot change the past. So we're accepting the exact moment that we're in and what's the exact specific task I can focus on. Where should I put my hands? Where should I put my knees, my arms, right? Like, I can't change the past that I got taken down. So let's not get mad about it. What let's focus on now. Let's commit to this, this task. What's the task at hand. Yeah. And I've worked with that a lot with my wrestlers this last year. And we had a lot of success with kids, just not, not focusing on something bad that just happened. Oh, I got, like you said, I got hit with a five point move. Now I'm all mad and I'm frustrated. I'm going to change, but you know, We'll deal with that later. We'll look at the film and we'll talk about that later. But right now I have this task at hand that I'm focusing on at this exact moment. And maybe that goes with the mindfulness stuff as well, but accepting, yeah. right. And committing to the, to the moment, right. What can I do now? Like can't change the past. Oh, I'm on bottom. So what's my responsibility on bottom? What's my task on bottom? What's my task directed focus? Yep. I've got a tripod and I've yep. got a new slide and I've got to keep inside protection from legs and arms coming in yep and and really i think what's so difficult and beautiful about wrestling is it's not one movement you don't no. just hit one stand-up you have to have uh, the ability and the urgency and really the engine and there's so much that goes into that engine physiologically and aerobically but psychologically as well that if i am returned to the mat nine times 
then I want to see if he'll return me to the mat the 10th time. Because yep. tripod, knee slide, inside control, and work to get a hand and turn and face. And that's it. Nothing's going to take me off of that focus. Not the anxiety, not the fear of losing, not the avoidance of fatigue and pain and frustration and not my dad, not even maybe even letting down my coat, none of it. I'm just going to hit my tripod and my knee slide and inside control and force him to return me to the mat the 10th time. And now you're in that Brent Matcalf and David Goggins, you know, you're in that spot of you're not going to break me. Yes. I'm going to keep getting up and you're going to have to keep returning me. And at one point, your will is going to break because I'm just going to keep imposing my will. And yeah, that, that, that's one thing I noticed, like just as a wrestling coach, the better the wrestler seems to be, the more not like stubborn, but that the refusal to give up, to stop committing to their task at hand or their object. Right. In that moment. Right. Their goal in that moment. And it's an absolute refusal, refusal to, to believe that they can get ridden out. Right. Or it's like, you know, it's just the approach that they take and, um, the higher you get up, the, the, it seems like the more stubborn they are towards that fact that they are so good, right. That they're just, they won't, they won't stop. They won't stop. Like you said, knee side, hand fight, get to their feet. Okay. I get returned to the mat. All right. I'm going to knee side, hand fight, get to my feet. And I remember when I wrestled, when I was on top, if someone was doing that after four or five times, I'm like, fine, let's just go neutral. Right. I'm like, <laughs> wow, you have your escape. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this. Right. Yeah. That's before I understood any of this way before any of the sports psych, but I remember just thinking, Oh, okay. I'm frustrated, you know? So, and then that, that was my thing. Okay. Five times I cut him, and then, you know, I wish I could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I just like every athlete wish I could just go back in time, you know, to talk to myself. <laughs> and we, We've pitched it very, very simply to our guys that in all these moments that we've just talked about, you're basically in a challenge to have emotions drive your behavior or to have tasks driving your behavior. And, and ultimately, I think the piece that makes that a quicker upload is the values piece because you can immediately take the kid who got returned to the mat on a fifth time and laid there. Yes. We, by all intent purposes, what we look for as wrestling coaches, he broke him. Yeah. Yep. And you see, he is broken. He's yep. flat on you the mat. You can feel it in their body. Yep. You can see it. Yeah. You can see him physically. We just broke him. Yeah. Broke him. And he comes off the mat and you simply just challenge him and say one of the values, because we have to know our guys, we have to know our studs. And you said that one of your values is determination. I wanna know in that moment, how you were acting on that value. And it's gonna immediately turn into emotions or anxiety or frustration or lack of confidence, whatever it might be. And that value component provides such a seamless way to challenge support encourage demand accountability all of it flows from that values component you know and dr or i think in in the work i've been doing with coaches 
is getting them to understand your time that you're going to put in to getting kids to really sit down and select some core values for themselves. And the time that you're going to spend as a team coming up with core values as a team is going to pay off huge dividends as you go through a season. When I'm talking to my team and I can point to the banner on the wall or you have it on your shirt as coach Lane is saying, and you can keep going back to that and saying, Hey, we committed that we're a family. Are we being a family when we're getting into clicks and arguing with each other? Yep. No. Well, then yep. you said you valued that. Then we've got to fix that part of what we're doing. But same thing with the kids. If they say that they value being resilient, are you being resilient when I see you physically break in a match and watch you? I can tell you gave up. Is that resilient? Mm-hmm. Just that time spent early is it's money in the bank for later on in the season with your kids as individuals and with your team as a whole. When you start thinking all the elements that you have to deal with on a team relative to cohesion, relative to task cohesion, relative to not just cohesion, but actual true team building, you know, where you've got people that have an identified role, that they've accepted their role, and now what's going to influence how I go about executing my role? Well, it's the five things that are on the back of, of coach's shirt right now, right? And it, I don't know, in my experience, of any better framework to go about having that conversation and building that thing that everybody talks about. Everybody talks cohesion, got teamwork, yeah. and you know we got to be one team and function as a team. But I haven't seen a, a better framework for doing that, whether it's special warfare or athletics, then having a hard session, multiple sessions if needed for us to come together on a collected shared norms that say, this is what Buena Vista wrestling is about. This is what Mizzou wrestling is about. And, you know, if you go back to the preface of our conversation, you look at Iowa and you look at Penn State and you look at Bama, and you look at Clemson, you look at these high-performing teams, and you know that everybody in that organization understands that this is how I am expected to do my job because this is what Bama football is. This is what Penn State wrestling is. This is what Iowa wrestling is. This is what it is to be a member of Buena Vista, and this is what I'm expecting you to demonstrate as a student, as a citizen, and as an athlete. And, it's- and then, and then the, I'm sorry. And then the idea that those team building things that you do during a season, if they're not related to that, then why are you doing them? Right. Amen. If you don't already have that foundation there, why are you throwing other things on the wall that don't mean anything? Yep. hundred percent. Because it, that's, and that's the piece that was probably the hardest hurdle to, to get over with, with Air Force Special Warfare is they want the goal setting. They want the, the yeah. self-walk. And the, you know, they want the, I would just say, kind of generic psych uh, components, right? Okay, well, first off, take the five things that you got on the back of your shirt with grit and commitment and put up a PowerPoint and talk about it. Yep. What opportunity have they had to really truly express it. How do you know as a coach 
that those things are actually getting expressed. Unless, yeah, how we measure that, right? Yeah, I, and I think that's that's certainly a big piece of it. But like, how often in the programs that we've been associated with have we seen that they have this piece of grit or respect mm-hmm. or commitment, some type of value that's there and it's espoused and it's spoken to, but there's never an intentional target to train it. Mm-hmm. Create a scenario that involves respect and run it out, whether it's amongst two people or whether it's a coach who is kind of taking this psych approach to really overcoach a kid that he knows doesn't like to be overcoached mm-hmm. and see if you can get him to be disrespectful. And then use that right there as a trainable yep. moment. Moment, yep. Yeah. I love that. That's yep. That's that's such good stuff. And um, one thing for me too is with the with the we use a lot of values based action and um, you know live it in accordance to your values and stuff. And we have the team values. Yep. And yeah, they're I got them painted on the wall. Yeah, and I have them on the shirt. Sure, that's cool. But what does that mean? That's nothing, right? That's kind of like memorizing dates and and history. You don't really learn anything from it, right? And um, but. One of the my favorite aspects was um, that you you taught me about was that I have to model. I have to live in accordance to these values too, and I have to, you know, if um, having integrity right is one of our team values, or sportsmanship is one of the team values. Like I have to model that as well. If I'm saying we're gonna have sportsmanship, and I'm hollering at the ref and yelling at another coach and arguing with whatever, then you know, then what does that teach the kids, right? So we have to model it as well and teach it right and define what these values are and give examples of of situations of when we've lived in accordance with our values right and um yeah uh, so much about the to me is like the the communication and the definitions of what words actually mean is one of the most important things i feel like for me that i got out of the program for example like you said um folk like focus right if i'm if i'm coaching in the corner and it's like focus right what <laughs> That's that thing drives me mad, right? And I t- I talk about that to my wrestlers. Like, I go, "Hey, watch! You'll hear another coach yell focus, and then we hear we hear it in the stands, and they're just like laughing. Like, focus on what? What? Then I'm wrestling. I'm like, what am I focusing on, coach? Right? Like, then I'm <laughs> my task at hand, right? Um, so that yep. that that verbiage, the definitions, the words, the communication is being precise is so important, even. Like uh, when we took your your mental toughness class, right? The fallacy of mental toughness. Like, what does that mean? How do you define mental toughness? Why don't we teach those things, right? That encompass, you know, what we think as mental toughness, but um, just the yeah. definitions of all of those things and and even resiliency, right? Like what's, what is resilience, right? Yeah. How do I, what is that to me? So I don't know how, how you, I know you said the resilience is the, the core, the cornerstone of, yeah. of your program or how you would define resilience. Yeah. I, you know, from a theoretical standpoint, I, it's, it is a positive facilitative adaptation to stress and challenge. Right. So whether it's a wrestling mat, whether it is a strength conditioning session, or it's a real gauntlet of drown proofing, mask and snorkel. We, the reason I want resilience as the cornerstone is because ultimately resilience is behavioral. That's it. It's behavioral. It is that there is this prescribed task 
with very specific conditions. Those could be environmental or those could be task related conditions. And it is your ability to have that stress of that condition or that task or that environment come into you and it either disrupts your task directed focus, right? Or you're able to metabolize that stress and deliver those performance behaviors. So what is resilience? Resilience ultimately is a behavioral construct. I can tell you to carry these weights this distance, and I can see the number of times in which you psychologically fail versus physically fail, which means you set the weight down because you have an avoidance to that uncomfortable feeling. I can see yeah. on a 25 meter underwater, I can see you once you reach the 15 meter mark pop for air because you don't like that pounding on your chest and you don't like that pressure that closes in on you as you go down depth and water. And it's just an avoidance. And how do I know that? Because ultimately it's behavioral. It's not best effort. It's not I tried hard. It's not toughness, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you go 15 meters, you're still pretty tough. <laughs> you do what you were prescribed to do, which is 25, which now you're not adapting. I need you to adapt. I need you to adapt to the psychological universe, the physiological universe, to the physical discomfort, all of it. I need you to adapt within that for those last 10 meters. And I think that's the great benefit that you have when you use resilience as a construct is it's behavioral, ultimately. And I, I, you're just making me think of, you know, when, when that's a focus of how you work with kids and it starts bringing more out of them than they ever thought that they had and how valuable that is to them later on in life. Yes. You know, I, I, in fact, I wrote about this in a paper in your class in a, in a ride I was doing where it was hotter than I thought it was going to be. I didn't really train the way I should have. So that was on me. Um, and it was like in the middle of it, I started cramping up. It was, it would have been easy to quit. I was at a rest stop. I must not have looked too good because this firefighter poured like ice water down the back of my jersey yeah. mm-hmm. and then said, go, go sit over there and the truck will pick you up. And I'm like, I'm not quitting. Yeah. It, had ne- it had never come to my mind that physically maybe I shouldn't keep pedaling mm-hmm. down this road in 100 degree weather. But that comes from playing sports as a kid and pushing yourself through situations. You know, I, Garrett, you like to talk about segmenting things out and you know getting through things yeah. that way. So maybe talk about that idea of how how segmenting can le- can kind of build that resiliency a little bit. 100%. I, it's when we look at the exit interviews of the individuals that got selected and the resources that they utilize to handle that 15 to 19 day gauntlet of 20 to 24 hour days of just sheer, you know, the workload and the work capacity, if you haven't seen it, it's really hard to explain it but it's just constant movement under weight on land followed by a go no go rock with 60 pounds and you know at unknown distance 
unknown time and you have to put out and if you don't put out at the time that they establish you you're removed from the course wow when you get done with that we're going to go into the pool and we're going to tread or we're going to do flooded mask or we're going to do 10 ups which is push-ups with a lot of environmental stress and then you dive into the pool swim across the width of the pool single breath get out get up get in the front leaning rest and do more push-ups like you think about that on when you wake up at say zero two and you know that you're probably going to go 20 to 24 hours that sheer stress Oof. of thinking about the day on the whole I'm stressed. Yeah. <laughs> but man, if I can think about like, okay, I'm up and the first thing is the ruck. Then that's all I've got to focus on. I keep all of my cognitive energy and all of my physical energy just on the ruck. And when the ruck is done, then let's say it's field care, right? We're just going to change out our socks and get our ruck ear in order and get some some recovery and what's next okay water con okay water con that's all i've got to focus on that's i have to that ability to just keep myself in this segment my cognitive energy in this segment my physical energy in this segment my attention in this segment and then when i get done with water con then we'll Take a tactic pause and we'll move on to what the next thing is and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And suddenly all I'm trying to do is live a one hour life. And I've got to do that 24 times. And then I've made it to dinner and then I wake up and I repeat it. And, and what I've seen and certainly what the, what the studs have testified to is it is a more manageable load when I just focus on the segment. And, you know, you can look at the segment as one period or you can look at the segment as this one exchange. And now we're out of bounds and I'm coming back to this segment I'm on my feet, I'm on bottom, I'm on the top. I know exactly what things I need to focus on. And that's what I'm focused on. I'm not focused on if I don't get an escape. You know, I'm not focused on if I don't get a turn. I'm not focused on if I don't win. I'm in the mm-hmm. back half of the bracket. Like, None of that. I'm just living in this yep. given segment. And the beautiful thing I think we all can attest to as professionals, uh, for me, to have the ability to work from 3 a.m. to 7, 8, 9 p.m. every day. And then on the weekend to have to compile all this resilience data and rack and stack all these studs and then wake up the next day and do it again it's daunting and instead i just look at it as i'm up and out at three and i'm on base at four and i'm prepping for my brief from four to five and from five to six fifteen i'm meeting with studs and at six fifteen the training day kicks off and at first i've got troop one water and then i've got troop two water and then we've got lunch and I've got meetings and then I've got meetings with studs. And then after lunch, I've got troop three water. And then when we get done with that, I've got weighted carries. When we get done with that, I've got to meet with uh, the, the course proctor, like the head coach, basically. 
and we put our notes together and we go in and we address the studs. We tell them what went well, why, what didn't go well, why, and shape what we need for the next day and then go home. And even then it's not done. I've got to find some way to put that off and start my second job as a husband. <laughs> yeah. And all of that, like when you talk about, it, yeah, that, that's exhausting. And we're trained 48 out of 52 weeks. We have no breaks here. It's back. Boom, 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 boom. And if you think about it on the full. Oh, it's too much. It's overwhelming. But if I just yeah. look at it as one day and I just look at it as troop one swim, troop two swim, troop three swim, meeting, end of day, go home, be a husband. Like, and doctor, I think that's, that's so important to connect that to not only what you're talking about with physical training, but it's a life skill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I look back on when we were in the master's program and sometimes I'm like, how did we do that? You know, yeah. how did, did Garrett and Shelby get through what they went through and a master's program and teaching's mm-hmm. a tough job. Coaching's a tough job. Mm-hmm. Being a good family member, good in your <laughs> relationships is a tough job. And then let's throw a master's program on top of it and not a, you know, walk through it easily kind of master's program yeah. at all. Yeah. But you know how we did it? We got up and said, okay, I'm going to class. I'm going to go get my classes done first. Am I prepared for that? Okay, I'm going to practice now. I'm prepared for that. Practice is over. I'm going to go home and get something to eat. I'm going to talk to my significant other. And then I have this paper that's due and I've got everything all scheduled out. So I know what day I have to do them. It's not, oh my God, I have four papers to write this week. It's it's Thursday. I need to get part three of that paper for Dr. Orr done tonight before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. And when you yeah. can learn how to chunk your life out that way, that's great. But we can learn that skill through things like sports. And I've got practice now. I got to get this done. Then I got to go do my homework or just getting through the bits and pieces of practice on their own. It's just a life skill. And I think that's as coaches, if we can focus on those things that we're doing, that they're going to be life skills and they can take those anywhere. They can take those to be a D1 wrestler. They can take those to be in the Marines. They can take those to be a firefighter or work in an office. Whatever they end up doing, that skill is always there. Yeah. That's one thing I've really applied to as a teacher in the classroom is with, with my students is the seg- segment segmenting things in their day, compartmentalizing their parts of their day. Right. When they're in my class and you know, first period, US history. We're there now, right? We're, yeah, maybe they have to write an English essay later today and they're stressed about it, but there's literally nothing they can do about it right now. Right now they're here. So what, how we can, can we commit together? Right. And same thing with me. Like I tell them, Hey, later in the day I practice and I have this and I have that and I have all these things, but I'll, I have that in my schedule written out and that's when I'm going to get to that. Right. And I have it planned out ahead of time. And, and even with all the distance learning stuff, um, even more so, I mean, the kids and, the mental health problems and anxiety and the the lack of motivation to be able to, you know, commit to certain things with school and lifestyles and everything. Um, I mean, I have so many students who are doing Zooms from their bedroom and laying in bed with the camera off and how can, I've been helping a lot of students with segmenting their day with um, writing out a schedule the night before they go to bed, before they go to bed at night, but what their day is going to look like the next day and putting it in the chunks you know, and at 8 a.m., this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go to my work area at 9 a.m. This is what I'm going to do. But um, in like Dana, like you said, it's life skills. And that goes on 
to the rest of your life? How can you get through tough times in your life or, or, you know, that seem tough or easier or whatever. Right. But, um, and that goes right back to resilience, everything It's all kind of ties together. The life skills. Yeah. It's the pace of life doesn't really stop when you are done with your athletic career. Right. Like we as coaches understand it. We see it all the time. Um, the drive that they have towards this goal relative to qualifying for state or and just getting a win finally in middle school. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. A hard, tangible drive there, but they understand it's not an easy path. I don't know how well we do as coaches of communicating that that same drive in terms of life pushing back against you is ever present, no matter what field we go into, uh, whether, you know, it's accounting or it's medicine or it's financial planning or it's being a counselor, it's being a, a coach, that same exact kind of lifestyle we had as an athlete is exactly what life is going to require of us as women, women, period, dot. And again, how can I conduct myself in such a way that I'm able to manage my cognitive energy and my, my task energy throughout this, this workload, this capacity that I have? I, I don't know any other way than segmenting because... If I know I have a 20-hour day followed by another 20-hour day followed by another 20-hour day, then immediately human nature starts to tell me to bargain. I'm gonna Jeez. Take, oh, my gosh, yeah. Take it easy in the first period, right? Right. Yeah. myself. Yes. As opposed to, yes. no, I'm going all out in the yep. first period. I'm going all out in the second period. And I'm going all out in the third period. I'm going to coach as hard as I possibly can for the full troop one pool session. And then I'm going to do it again for the full troop two session. And then I'm going to do it again for the full troop three session, because that's what excellence is. And that's what these studs deserve. And that is the same for accounting. It's the same for financial planning. And it's definitely the same for our personal relationships, whether it's, partner or marriage or friends, family. And I, I just, I feel like I have a, a easier time managing the workload when I just think about it as a segment, whether it's an hour or a day or a week or a month, when I chunk them away as segments, it just doesn't feel as overwhelming. One, 100%. And and um, I was telling you when we were when we were texting last week that um, I just did like the the snow trip where we went backpacking yeah. and snowshoes and we went across the frozen lake and I was going up this hill and it was like kind of raining and snowing at the time with windy and it was just my heart rate felt like it was gonna my heart felt like it was gonna explode and if I thought about how much further I had to go up that mountain it yeah. would have been like too much I'm like dude I'm just gonna lay here and what, I don't know what I'm gonna do <laughs> remember find myself. I was just like hey let's just do 20 steps yeah. and um so I did 20 steps and I got through 20 steps and I was like 
took a breath. I was like, okay, let me get another 20 steps. Right. And then that's what I was doing where I saw like a tree. I'm like, let's just get there. Let's get to that tree. So I'm focused on that point until that tree, right. And put it into chunks. Next thing I know I'm at the top and we're just going downhill. I was like, okay, you know, let me get downhill. Okay. Let me get to the next lake that we have to walk across, you know, but I thought about the overall thing of that, that hike. And this was just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it would just would have been too daunting for me too too much, right? So um, yeah, yeah. you hit on a piece that I, I I just think it's beautiful. First of all, when it's you doing it, it's it's pretty cool. Yes, so look back at like maybe it was a mile, right? Maybe it was ten miles. It, it doesn't really matter. But at yeah. the time, because of your physiology. And because of the physiology's influence over psychology, you're in a moment now where you're bargaining. Yeah, eh, six miles is fine, right? Yeah. yeah. And you look at the, you're like Dana, when you were in the hurt on that bike ride, and you'd say you had 20 miles to go. You're like, how am I going to possibly pull this off, right? We have this really beautiful day for our studs where it's just – Again, it, without being there and seeing it, it's really hard to put words to it, but it is an absolute grinder uh, of a day where they just get kicked in the teeth. And it's, it's an abrasive wake up at early, <laughs> um, very, very early, and it's unexpected. And uh, from the get-go, they're in front-leaning rest or they're in um, – jacket feet up where they have to hold a handstand on an object and that goes on for like an hour and then from there they go straight into a kit run which is an impossible pace with a 20 pound kit and a 60 pound ruck and that it basically summarizes the whole day it's just one kick in the teeth yeah next and the culminating event is the whole whoever remains for the last four hours of that day has uh, like a simulated field training exercise where there's teams of six carrying these 500 pound worms. It's kind of like log PT. If you're familiar with what the seals do, it's just, it's with a road worm and there's sandbags and 124 pound kettlebells. It's just a bunch of equipment that they have to move at a point of sheer physical and psychological exhaustion. And there's a guy called Herton Herman, who it's like it's a 240-pound dummy. <laughs> and we, myself and, and, a, and, and the course proctor, identify the individuals that we think can handle that task. And we just roll them in and out for that whole three-hour period oh. of carrying it. And it, it, it's beautiful because you don't have to carry it the whole way. We've only had one guy ever do that, so it's not – typically possible what wow. you need to do i need you to get to that telephone pole and we'll take a tactical pause there and do an assessment good okay make it to the shed got it make it to the humvee check got it make it to the road sign check got it and that's all you were doing on your hike dana that's all you're doing on your bike ride and i think existentially that's all we're doing. Like we're just trying to make it to dinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, that's the beautiful, yeah. I guess, opportunity that you guys have as coaches is as you're taking this psych skill of segmenting 
within this ethos of resilience. Like, does it have applicability to wrestling? Yeah, 100%. But I also promise you, gentlemen and ladies, it has direct applicability to husband, wife, mother, father, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, employee, so on and so forth. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question for you. And then Garrett's going to ask you probably the hardest question of the whole interview right after that one. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. um, The performance psychology is just growing greatly and becoming, I don't want to say accepted. I just think people are realizing the power of focusing on performance psychology. Is there something that's new or expanding out there that you're particularly interested at this time that, yeah, well, I'm glad that you're using the term uh, performance psych uh, because everybody, I think most people are familiar with sports psychology, right? And that makes complete sense. But tell me how an executive chef and his brigade isn't a performance. Tell me yeah. how a motivational speaker isn't operating in a performance domain. And if the military wants to employ these sports psychology professionals, why are they calling them sport? Yeah. Because this is not sport and these are not athletes. This is war and they are soldiers. So the, the sport to me should be, parametered into sport and dance theater and public speaking and culinary and I mean fill in the blank that's performance so those I I, the title should match the context right you know there's a lot of this cognitive specialist that is kind of where the, the military has their own nomenclature. I'm like, that, that's fine. I mean, you, you call it what you want to call it. That, that's one thing that's nice about the military. It's it's pretty simple. Like, no, that's what you are because that's what I tell you. Roger that. But like, we know cognitive is too narrow. It's too acute because ultimately it's performance. And so now let's get into this generic debate. Well, what is, is performance 100% mental, 0% physical? Is it 70% physical and 30% mental? No, it's 100% mental and it's 100% physical. So it's not cognitive. It's performance psychology. That's such an important piece that I don't think a lot of people are delineating appropriately so i appreciate you guys making that delineation as for what has my current intrigue it's two things one is rumination and just man you see it so often that our top studs leaving for assessment and selection do the unthinkable and they take themselves out of the fight and they quit. It's called self-identified elimination, SIE. And every time we get that message through from the commander about somebody that SIE, and we get these, these daily updates, 
it just rips your heart out because you know they took themselves out of the fight. And then you start interviewing them and talking to them and just trying to understand and empathize with what got a hold of them. And it never fails that I was in the middle of WaterCon. And all I could think about was the next course, which is pre-dive, which is, man, is it a gauntlet? I mean, it is an absolute kick in the teeth. And they're in this stress and they're in this demand and in this adversity. And they're thinking literally a month down the road. Oh. Or they have a bad event or they have a bad day, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. And they just can't get past it. Mm -hmm. They just ruminate. Yeah. And so that concept uh, is something that I'm really trying to digest as much as I possibly can. It's taken me to um, some of Jordan Peterson's work through Understand Myself, where uh, he's got a piece that is basically a kind of domain of uh, neuroticism. And it's basically just emotional sensitivity. Mm. So, so and, and I, when, when I started reading about it, I started, it un- unlocked all these past experiences that I've had with athletes where I've seen there's this really high sensitivity to an elevated heart rate, or there's a really high sensitivity to water-based events, or there's a really high sensitivity to criticism or failure or, uh, and it's interesting. The DSM five took neuroticism out. Oh, really? No, I don't know. It's not there. And I'm sure that's probably because there's a negative connotation to that term. Yeah. But the concept is still there and that people are talking about emotional sensitivity. And I think if you guys think back to some of your athletes, maybe even some of your current athletes, yeah, just a sensitivity to that fatigue. There's a sensitivity to that ego orientation or to that normal comparison where, you know, Garrett's better than at this than me. So I don't even want to try and go against him. Right. There's that sensitivity piece. So that's really what I've been digesting uh, the most. And I think there's a lot of weight there of Mm -hmm. understanding. Can we, again, I don't need your sensitivity to it to decrease. It's like, I don't need your anxiety to decrease. All I simply need from you is a greater acceptance within that anxiety, a greater acceptance commitment within that sensitivity. And how do we get there? We increase the task directed focus for whatever a prescribed task is within whatever context and conditions prescribed. So that's where I think it's heading. That's awesome. That, that's, that's amazing. I was thinking throughout all that, I was thinking about myself as an athlete about, yeah. about, um, and I remember one of the, the things you're telling us of when you're, I can't remember the number, but your heart rate, your heartbeat gets to a certain amount of beats per minute and your brain starts screaming at you that you're going to die. Right. Yeah. To yeah. tell your brain that it's wrong yeah. and that you can get past that. Right. And keep going. And so the next time that screaming at you, that your heart, that you're going to die, that heart, you know, it's a little bit higher. The threshold's a little bit higher. And, um, 
And uh, that's one thing I've always dealt with, you know, as an athlete is like my heartbeat. And I even talked about it earlier. Like when I was on my hike, I, I let my heartbeat kind of come down. Like I just say, like, okay, like dealing yeah. with that and coping with that. But um, yeah, that's one thing that personally I dealt with. But yeah, I think about a lot of my athletes with so many things that like they're, they're ruminating about, right. Their dad is sitting in the stands right there and they're just worried about going back up there. And that's what they're thinking about. Right. That, that's the ego part. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. or, whatever you know so um yeah all of it yeah and I, I think too you know we don't we don't have to have it be such grave stakes either sure I, I, we, we definitely all seen this they come to practice but they know that they have a test the next day subject that they're not great at and so they're at practice but they're not really at practice why because they're ruminating about their chemistry exam ruminating about the paper that that they just got back that they got crushed on or you know and and to to a greater extent with some of the division one athletes the things that they deal with in their personal life you know um and just again not being able to segment it or compartmentalize it or keep things in their appropriate space Um, the conversation that i have with with the operators that i'm with constantly is you got three cups present, sorry, past, present, future. And they all hate the pool. And rightfully so. I hate the pool for them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've I've done all the events. I'm signed off and certified on all of them. And they all suck. And they haven't (laughs) sucked any less the more that I've done them and trained in them. They're awful. But it has that ability that when you're at S&C, you can't focus on S&C. And your whole day is wrecked because you're dreading the fact that you have the pool at the last session of the day. That's rumination. Well, if, if all of my cognitive energy is placed in that third cup of the future and I've got nothing for the present and that visual kind of representation for a lot of these guys is like, yeah, you're right. I'm giving away all my currency from the present task to the future or the past. And so I've got nothing in my present cup. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah. uh, Dr. Orr, like, well, thank you so much for today, but thank you so much for everything. I think we had four of your classes. Plus on top of that, you were just a, a great like counselor and helper and motivator and you inspired us. And I mean, you're such a positive impact on, on our lives and we're, we're paying it forward, you know, big time to all the athletes we coach to my, to my children, um, my relationships with my wife and my family and friends and everything. And it's just that ripple effect is huge and it's, it's going to keep going. So um, really do not have the words to thank you enough for, for everything that you've done for us and continue to do for us. And um, on that, I want to ask you if, in the future, if you'd be willing to come back, because I have about a million more questions for you sure. to come back on the on the pack. And I know your schedule is like crazy, so we'll, we'll yeah, put it down the line. But um, it was called it was, Le- Lessons from the Battlefield. I love it. Right. I love it. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And um, yeah, I have so much I want to I want to just keep on poking poking your brain about and sure. practicing and everything. But um, one question we've we've interviewed I don't know maybe four or five people. Okay. Um, here and uh, we always ask them the last question dana and i are huge wing fans we love we love to eat wings so what are the favorite wings? yeah what are the oh. best, best wings? 
What are the best wings you've ever had? Your favorite wings that you've ever oh, had? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I, I look, I, I think some people probably are going to expect like the generic answer of uh, Anchor Bar, you know, where the, 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 the buffalo wing originated. Yeah, definitely. Bar here in San Antonio. And they are, they're, they're legit. They are pretty good. Um, but the bottom line, and people are probably going to think like, what the heck? The bottom line is there is a pizza joint in Columbia, Missouri. And I believe there's another one in Jeff City, Missouri called Aris's Pizza, A-R-R-I-S. And they have the best wings that I have ever had. Uh, they've got that kind of the, the texture, right? Like, you know, some of them, it's, it's <laughs> too dry. Yeah. Right. And then they That's try true. to it with the sauce. But like, look, I, once I get past the sauce, I'm still biting into this. <laughs> Where's the hell wing? Yeah. Eris's has mastered that middle point uh, better than any wing I've ever had. And there's an off the menu request called Jim's sauce. That is this secret recipe of like sriracha, butter, Mm. hot sauce i don't know what they do and i can't tell you the detriment to our budget (laughs) (laughs) because every weekend there's some game that i want to watch and we have to get eris's pizza eris's salad and eris's wings and it's like you look at the fall and our budget in the fall and it's like where's oh yeah. <laughs> I'm a wing category. Eris's oh, category. You're just hungry. Surplus of money in the spring. <laughs> yeah, if you guys, if you ever make it back, we will. It's, We're going there. Eris, they've got the best wings I've had, honestly. Done. Done. Yep. 100% done. And Doc, there's so many places in Columbia that have wings, and you like, People start talking about this and D Rose has a great smoked wing, but it's smoked, right? Like I'm, I'm talking Buffalo wings. And yes. I yeah. would always argue heiresses and everybody would look at me like I'm speaking heresy. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you that's say texture, not. texture is one of the underrated parts of a wing to me. Yeah. Like that's, that's so crucial to me. Absolutely. So crucial. Yeah. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. So. Dr. Orr, I want to thank you too. And, um, yeah. You know, we when we walked into that master's program, one, we never could have guessed how hard it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I tell people, you know, most teachers now have master's degree. And when I talk about being through a program that was life changing for me, they look at me like I'm nuts. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it truly was. I And that that was on you. That was a program that you, that you built and, and having you for so many classes. It really was um something that has made me a better coach, a better teacher, and a better man. Um, and yeah. so I thank you for that. And I just remember one night, um, so it had to be really late for you because it was already late for me, and I was stuck on a paper. Yep. I didn't have confidence in what I wanted to say in this paper. Mm-hmm. And I was emailing back and forth with you, and you finally said, can I just call you? <laughs> and, and you called me, and we, we talked about something completely different for about a half hour, and then you asked me what my question was. And I was dabbing around the edges of where I was going with this paper, but I wasn't confident. And you go, you're just about to say it, just say it. Mm-hmm. And I said where I was going to go with it. And you go, well, that was it. Now have a good evening. <laughs> and we were done. But it was like, you, you weren't going to give me the answer and you knew yeah. how to draw it out of me and, and make me confident in, in doing that part of that paper. But um, 
Um, that's just an, an experience I wanted to reflect on with you on the program and why it was so different and so life-changing. And, and uh, I just appreciate everything that you did for us. Yeah, look, I think for you guys, you know, you give, you give me and, and, and the program a lot of credit. Um, but the reality is there's just an inordinate amount of people that have come through that program that didn't get out of it what you all did. Mm. They didn't put into it what you oh. did. You, yeah. you got out of it what you wanted to get out of it, which caused you to put into it what you put into it. And on a, on a teacher side, man, all you're doing is getting out of bed and just trying to make an impact. Now, am I going to sacrifice my standards for that? No, no, not at all. Why? Because when the Danas and the Garretts and the Vineshes and the Kristens and all the other names that we could name when they come through that program and you guys do what you did and you become what you've become as men and coaches, that's the whole reason to not sacrifice on the demand and to not sacrifice on the standards because you guys have this currency that can never, ever be taken from you this emotional, spiritual, and psychological salary that you paid yourselves because of what you put into it. That's all any coach, educator, mentor, professor could ask for. And very few gave it. <laughs> so I, I think all the compliment has to be redirected back to you guys for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Very well, thank much. you very much. And we look forward to having you back again. I'd love yeah. to, I mean, like, seriously, we know we could sit here and talk for hours. All yeah. three of us know that. Um, so let's, let's make sure that we do this again and that we're, we're keeping in touch because I think there's just a lot of valuable conversations um, yeah. between us. Absolutely. I want, I want to order you to go take a nap or something like that. I'm, I'm exhausted thinking about your schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's intense. Um, yeah. Our mobility coach, uh, Taylor Starch, just a, he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, individual, awesome coach, but he, we have a text chat that we, uh -huh. and every Sunday he's like, Sunday doom, Sunday doom. This <laughs> 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 depression, like you get oh. kind of Saturday, Sunday, like, oh, oh. You take the foot off the gas, and then yeah. about Sunday at like five or six p.m., this black cloud oh, comes over. You're like, oh god, <laughs> oh god I got to be up at three again. Yeah. <laughs> so, brutal, absolutely. Thank you, Doctor Orr. Absolutely. Uh, before we go, uh, what, what's your guys's answer to the question? Oh, um, I have two. Uh, my my friend who he actually passed away a couple years ago. He. Um, he was in St. Louis and got this recipe from some dude at a bar in the middle for the NCAs in the middle of the night. And, um, in a part of town, he should, probably shouldn't have been in, but this dude, yeah. the barbecue place and the dude was friendly and gave him this recipe. And it was like this Caribbean jerk okay. seasoning ultra spiced with habanero, habaneros and jalapenos mm -hmm. and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. He used to make them every Sunday for football every Sunday of the year, we'd all go to his house and mm -hmm. drink and eat the wings. And as I crave them and, um, yeah. and he passed away. So I missed those yeah. endlessly. And then, so the next one is 
Um, there's a place in town called Mandara's that um, they make these crispy, but they're juicy on the inside with their homemade sauce that it's, mm-hmm. I've never tasted anything like them ever anywhere else. And they are, you know, if you get them hot, it's kind of, it's not too hot, but it's hot enough where you can't stop eating. Yep. And if yep. you do, then you're going to have to take like a 15 minute break before you can keep eating again and yeah. Yeah. You're sweating and everything. But the flavor is just addicting. It's like, it's like, you yeah. know, so. yeah. Dana, mine have uh, actually turned out to be some I've been making lately. I have a you know Ninja air fryer, yeah, and I've I've kind of got it down to where you cook them at like three seventy five for eight minutes, and then I pull them out and toss them in the sauce and put them back in at four hundred for a couple more minutes, mm-hmm. and they are fall off the bone. The skin is crispy, but the sauce is soaked okay. into it. Yep. They're yep. good. I have to be careful because I could sit and eat. Um, yep, isn't it funny though? One of the first sports psych studies that I did was with an executive chef. Oh, cool. And was just, look, at, I, we were sitting at the chef's table because he's, he's a dear friend of ours and just observing. And I'm like, dude, this is a performance environment. Like this makes oh. complete sense that we would do some, some performance psych here and some team building cohesion and work with him as a leader to understand different leadership styles for each individual member. And, um, but from that friendship, I got really, really good at cooking steak. And so now it's like, when we go out, we're just massively disappointed. (laughs) We know we can do it better. And that basically is that's any type of piece of food that you like you're going to end up finding your own recipe and the answer is always going to be, yeah, the ones that I make are the best that I've ever had. Right. Right. My, yeah. my wife won't let me order certain foods at restaurants because I just get disappointed. I get mad. <laughs> I, I just claim I'm disappointed. Right. She's like, exactly. don't, order it. don't order it. I'm like, ah, yeah. but I want it. But I know. Yeah. Yep. Rachel, don't order it. Yeah. Rachel will not let me order steak out because what? I'm just disappointed. What's, what's your, what's your <laughs> method? Do you on a barbecue or cast iron or what charcoal. do you do? Charcoal. Oh yeah. Indirect to direct or. Yeah. Well, if it's typically New York strip, I like the texture of a New York strip better. Um, so with charcoal and then I take it and put butter on it, two slabs of, of butter and then turn it over and that gets you your Pittsburgh style crust. Mm. And then when you flip it, water down the flame so it's not you know mm, yeah. crusted and it's roughly about for the new york um six minutes roughly all on direct heat and then move it up to the top rack off of yep and just let it sit to temp use a thermometer yeah the digital throw yep, yep. That's Dude, right. seriously, That's you guys should start a cooking product line you we've already We've now added our <laughs> digital meat thermometer and the Ninja air fryer. Yeah. <laughs> Time to move to sponsorship, man. Yeah, I know. Let's go. Shop. Let's go. <laughs> uh, All right. Thank you again, uh, Doctor Orr. Well, Don't go you. anywhere because we're gonna we're gonna finish up talking to you after the recording here. Just let me okay. hit the stop yeah. button and we'll we'll finish up with you there. But thank you again. This is like so. Uh, information dense. It's, it's I, know. I can't wait to go back and re-listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and I, I thank you guys for thinking enough of the things that we worked together and taught and what we're doing now with, with Air Force Special Warfare to even consider to bring me on and just 
have an opportunity to talk. I, I'm very, very humbled and appreciative for the opportunity. All right. Thank you, Thank you very much.